Berto, we haven't done an episode in which we just do tougher bluffs in a while, you know, just uh, mm, kind tough. of shoot the stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so let's do that today. What do you say? Let's do it. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I am a therapist and a professor. My name is Humberto Castaneda, and I repair Swatch watches. Today, we have two very special guests with us from the <laughs> Unpopular Culture podcast, Michael Drain and Corey, Corey, Corey Stewart. Yes, hello. Uh, please introduce yourselves to the podcast. Hello, my name is Michael Drain from Unpopular Culture. I am so glad to be here. And I got Corey Stewart right next to me. Oh my God, the hey, Corey up? Stewart. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> oh, <thanks. laughs> Do you realize that we, we had these guys on another podcast, and I thought, oh, this is so cool. Turns out we can't get rid of them. Yeah. <laughs> like, they're permanent fixtures. Well, my now. listeners keep asking me to do stuff with Kirk. They're like, hey, you, you should tackle this with Dr. Kirk, man. Oh. All right. So let's tackle this one. This is a tougher bluff, otherwise known as true or false. Research shows that people rate art. Research shows that people rate art higher when they're told it's expensive and liked by others. Tough or bluff? Berta, what do you think? Oh, yeah. I'm going to go tough on this one. It's like peer pressure. Yeah. Wait, 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 guys. Hold on. You, okay, if it's tough. It's true. It's true. Bluff. It's it's not true. Okay. Yeah. Why okay. do you mean? You don't know the rules of no. engagement? This sounds very similar to truth or dare. So oh, I'm, I'm okay, hoping okay. Are you, gonna dare? <laughs> you guys are going to make me jump out the window yes, or something. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> All right. So what do you think? Research shows that people rate art higher when they're told it's expensive and liked by others. Tough or bluff? Uh, that's tough. Okay. What do you think? Yeah, definitely tough. Perception is everything. You guys are right. It's tough. Next one. People who prefer to not depend on others feel more gratitude after getting a gift. Tough or bluff? What do you think? People who prefer to not depend on others feel more gratitude after getting a gift. Berto, what do you think? No, t- uh, that's bluff. Yeah, why? That's a bluff. Because they, they're like, when they, when they get the gift, they're like, God damn it, now I owe this person something. Interesting. I should, I should be like self-reliant. Interesting. I'm calling bluff. People that are not dependent on others usually probably are so for a reason. They're probably not comfortable or don't like having to depend on others, and they might perceive that gift as a... Obligation. Obligation. Yeah. Yeah, I'll agree. Bluff. You guys are all smarties. It it is bluff. Uh, The speculation that you are speculating seems highly likely, but... (laughs) It's not speculative. (laughs) But the the research didn't didn't look into the factors. All right, tougher bluff. When high schools start later in the morning, teens do not get more sleep. Tougher bluff. When high schools start (laughs) later in the morning, teens do not... Get more sleep. Tough or bluff? Berto. I mean, I'm going to go uh, with bluff because I um, I, I want to hope that, that that it actually does help. But I remember being a teen. <laughs> and if school starts later, I'm probably going to stay up later. So, But right. I'm going to violate my, my gut instinct and go bluff. Okay. I'm going to say bluff. Uh, although I did read research that said that they do get more sleep later I know my I personally Michael no, Drain no, no. in high school, but that would be bluff. So bluff is you're gonna agree with that with that research you read. Okay, all right, okay, then bluff. Yes, are you sure? Well, reread it because that's what when, I. When high schools start later in the morning, teens do not, not get. get more sleep. And I'm I'm saying bluff is the research you read, right? Well, that the, they do get the research I read reinforces what you're saying that okay. they don't get more sleep that they. That they no, that they do. That they do. So Sorry, you got to go so bluff okay. if you agree with the research. All right. uh, my, my high school had something <laughs> called late start. So every Wednesday, 
school started like two hours later because teachers were in meetings or something. Yeah. And this was like a little mini break, and I definitely did not get any more sleep. That was just an excuse to stay up later Yeah, yeah as see, a teenager. That's my know? gut. That would be tough. That would make this true. Okay. But I'm saying I'm going to trust the research you read and go bluff. Okay. Cool. What do you think, Corey? I think it depends on the parents you have. Ooh. Whoa. Snap. How does it depend on that? Because <laughs> all my friends, they would they would stay up. We had late start, too, every Wednesday. Did you but really? But my parents were like, hell no. Oh. <laughs> well, so then you got to average it out. How many more parents are there of one type than the other? True. So tough or so bluff? Tough or no bluff. idea. You're saying tough, I think. Um, She's saying tough. Sure. Okay. <laughs> tough to the double negative. Yeah. Sure. Start with a tough. Uh, it's bluff. Research shows <laughs> research shows that yeah. teens get more sleep when high schools yeah. start later in the morning. Yeah. Later start start times were also associated with fewer car accidents and less daytime sleepiness. And that's what I was hoping Ooh. because, who, of course, right? But. I just kind of look back and I'm like, I probably would have abused that. Oh, I would have. Absolutely. (laughs) I think the part of it is that people will, quote unquote, abuse it, but they won't abuse it to negate the the Uh, later start. You know what I mean? And so, yeah. I mean... 7.30 7.30 is, was my high school start time. What was, what was your start time, Corey? Yeah, 7.30, I think. That's insane. It's insane. It is insane. Who's, who does anything at 7.30? I can't even wake up at 7.30. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's insane. And so, and for many people, they'd have to get up at 5.30 or 5 or something, you know, before they got the whole ball rolling. Before, that's right. And, and then the teachers, they got to wake up that early, too. So everyone is just like in this perpetual state of, of zombie of, of problem and uh, and it's all because of whenever and I because I've been in arguments with teachers about this I'm like why don't you guys just move everything <laughs> later and what they'll always say is well I want to be done earlier so I can move on with my day and this I'm like, argument drives me insane it, that's completely illogical yes yeah you can you put it you have a 24 hour clock you can slay your eight hours wherever you want within there you know, yeah. I can relate to the argument because I do it the opposite way I'm like why are you going to bed so late so I can have more time you don't get any more time. It's just math. It's okay. Yeah. Michael, I am so glad that, that pisses, pisses you off. Oh, drives me insane. The same level it pisses me oh off. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. If anything, it's smarter. Push it a little later. Avoid rush hour traffic, because yeah. that's the reason for last car accident. Uh, but what does later mean? 745? <laughs> I mean, what is the... Well, no. I don't know. Uh, eight? Uh, nine? That's still too early. It should be 11 a.m. But even between <laughs> seven and nine, I mean, that'd make a hell of a difference for yeah. me. Well, I think elementary school starts around nine a lot of times. They, they'll stagger it, right? They'll be like high school, then middle school, uh, then, then elementary school. Anyway, tougher bluff. 12% of airline pilots are suffering from major depression, and 4% of airline pilots have had recent suicidal thoughts. Tougher bluff. Oh what do you God. think, Berto? I am so scared by that statistic. I'm going to say, actually, it's bluff. It's much higher, but that's terrible that that's much higher. Okay. Too think? soon for a United joke? No. 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 It's too late. <laughs> Were they flying United? <laughs> uh, uh, man, I don't know. I must say it's probably true. Okay. Well, tr- tough. Tough. Okay. Tough. Tough. I recently saw the movie Flight with yeah. Denzel Washington. Love that movie. <laughs> so I'm going to say tough. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully yeah. bluff, though, because I got to get on No, no, I was soon. saying bluff the other way, so I was being more negative. Yeah. <laughs> no, it, it is tough. Twelve okay. percent uh, of airline pilots have been found to be suffering from major depression, Jeez. and four percent have had recent suicidal thoughts. Now, 
your reaction, Berto, it, it sort of implies that it increases dangerousness. Right. Well, my reaction is that, and, and partially the reason I was more pessimistic is because I have friends that are pilots, and I've heard how horrible a lot of the airlines are and how horrible their hours are and how yeah. sleep-deprived they are. Right. And so, yeah. Which leads to depression. And you're away from your family, yes. which leads to depression. Yeah. So it, it makes sense that there would be some high prevalence rate of depression and suicidal thoughts come with that. When when lay people hear this, like yourself, Berto, it, it feels scary. But the fact is, is this is consistent with probably the general population. You know, it's probably a little higher than the general population, but not that much. And, you know, people aren't dropping like flies all the time. Sure. It, you can be depressed and have, you know, occasional suicidal thoughts and still be just as safe as a pilot as anybody okay, else. Okay, so that's a good question. Are those percentages then in line with, or are they higher than? Than what? Than the normal Than the population. normal Yeah, the normal, uh, off the top of my head, major depression, the prevalence is uh, probably less than 12%. Um, I'd have to look it up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess around the 5 to 8%. Do you know off the top I think of it's a l- 11. Okay. <laughs> It's probably not twelve, but it's. I honestly haven't looked in quite some yeah, time. Yeah, I have. I, again, it's I, a very small range. So I have I a computer. <laughs> I remember when you read the numbers, though, it was low enough that it didn't. It didn't shock me. It didn't seem like, oh my god, that's insane. Uh, I thought it was eleven point nine. Yeah, it seemed pretty par for the course. But having said uh, that, I know some flight attendants, friends that you you go from airplane to hotel to airplane to hotel, and and you some of them will go for a couple day stints if you fly to. You know, Russia yeah. or Europe or somewhere exotic, you're gone for oh a while. So I can see where it would be depressing in some ways. Yeah. So according to just a quick thing here, it's actually higher in the United States than 12. percent So oh, actually, no. pi- pilots are so it's so they're says, doing okay. It says 17 percent in the United States for pilots. Uh, no, just for general population. So it's worse if you're not a pilot and you for need to become a pilot. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. but also they didn't designate if these were American pilots, but. Uh, prevalence rates are different across different uh, parts regions of the world. and jobs. Yeah. There's a lot of factors. But the United there. States has the highest prevalence. But that isn't necessarily to say that they're actually more depressed. It just might be that they're being diagnosed more often with depression, whereas people in other countries might be labeled as some other label. But anyway, the point is is that it might even be less. <laughs> Airline pilots yeah. might actually be less depressed than the general population. Who knows? But anyway, um, okay. A tougher bluff, a 45-minute test, 45-minute test on intelligence and impulsivity given to three-year-olds. So just little little tots. 45-minute test on intelligence and impulsivity given to three-year-olds can predict who will likely become a criminal, who will likely use drugs, and who will become obese. Tougher bluff. What do you think, Bert? Tough. Yeah? Yeah? What do you think? I'm saying bluff. Yeah? I hope tough. Why do you say bluff? I don't think that you can predict the course of a kid at age three for those things. Well, you can kind of. It is but tough. Remember, prediction doesn't mean like that individual. Absolutely, for a fact, that person. No, I realize that. Yeah. I just uh, I think by three, it seems like there's still a lot to be happened still in your life. You and, know? True, and the biological disposition that's you know obviously already at play and the parenting that that three-year-old has already absorbed can show indicators that will show greater 
risk of criminality, drug use, and obesity. That that's the point. I just watched a TED talk uh, from a Canadian um, scientist uh, who, him and his uh, coworkers or co, uh, what's the term for colleague colleagues? Thank you. <laughs> his co-colleagues uh, have been working for decades on uh, studying in uh, mice and then in uh, primates the effects of very very early childhood mothering on the genetics, the actual epigenetics, and they've found conclusive uh, proof with rats and with monkeys that the very early mothering uh, changes their their genetics and predisposition to addiction of, in this case, it was alcohol. Uh, anyways, I forget, but it was bad stuff. It's like it affected yeah. them for the rest of their it, lives. It's not to say that... <laughs> That parenting at age three plays no role in who that person will be. They because they have uh, what the babies in incubators. Just physical touch will help them physically grow more. So it you know just physical touch alone, um, and then contact with your mom or your parents or whoever is going to play a big role even at that point. I just think there's, I mean, you're starting really early. I mean, unless they have some serious trauma and really messed up stuff going on, I think there's a lot of. But there's also dispositional things like. The ability to uh, concentrate, the ability uh, to refrain from impulse. Yeah, an impulsive test for a three-year-old? I mean... Yeah, well, there are differences, you know, and especially if you hang out with enough three-year-olds, you you will see different impulsivity indexes. <laughs> Some kids... At maybe you got to do that. <laughs> yeah, maybe I'll get on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so now, is this going to? Can you say for sure one person will do X, Y, or Z? No, but no, what they're saying not. is an indicator of impulsivity. And sure. don't forget, like the thetans enter your body at the beginning, right? So. Yeah, nanu nanu. <laughs> <laughs> You're mixing your. Um, okay. Uh, all right. Tougher bluff. Children with parents who emphasize kindness over scholastic achievement do worse in school. So. Tougher bluff. Children with parents who oh, em- no. these parents are emphasizing kindness over scholastic achievement. Oh, I see. These children with those parents do worse in school. I want that to be bluffed. Bluff, damn it! Why? Because that would suck if that's true. Yeah. It would, because it would that suck. means that like you can't you know like well if I teach them kindness they won't be aggressive enough and then if I don't so, but I want it to be bluff. I want it to be true that if you teach them kindness. They will do better okay. in school. All right. And Amazing. other things. Michael, I, I kind of agree with you, man. Um, I want to die on this hill, even if I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Agreed. Okay. Bluff. Bluff. So Michael, what do you think, Corey? Um, I also want it to be true, but I don't know. Did I have a very specific experience. You mean you want it to be bluff? You want, you it, want to it to be bluff. Be bluff. Sorry. Yes. So are you going to be pragmatic and kill our dreams? And <laughs> I, I grew up uh, with divorced parents, so I had... Um, Two parents on one side, two parents on the other side since I was like two. And one of them was very cultivating of my kindness and um, has famously <laughs> said recently that uh, in a survey me and my mom did together, she said – she answered a question that said, if you were to have a kid, would you rather they be kind or smart? And she said kind. So these are the kind of parents they were from Savannah, Georgia. And then my Ohio liberal parents were very – you know, scholastic, scholastic achievements, extracurricular activities, and I only started working hard in school when they asked me to. So, so you have this unique perspective of oh no, yeah, both, I had not both. voting well. So which which so how did you do in school? I did really well once I started <laughs> realizing you, it mattered. Do you attribute that to the kindness of the Savannah parents or the scholastic? Uh, Nazism of your Ohio parents. <laughs> <laughs> uh, definitely the latter. 
<gasps> yeah. Oh, she's dashing our hopes and dreams. I'm sorry. Well, you're wrong, Corey, okay, by the good. way. Yay! I'm also happy it's about rough. that. <laughs> Researchers found that children whose parents place greater or the same level of emphasis on pro-social behavior, like kindness, uh, as on achievement, they had higher school performance. They had higher self-esteem as well, and they had fewer psychological symptoms than children who, whose parents place greater emphasis on achievement. This research is wonderful for me because I have had so many arguments with parents around this. There's so much pressure on parents to produce children who are doing well in school. It is, in America, the highest, by far, number one indicator of your success of a parent. If your kid went to Harvard, it doesn't matter how much of a dick he is, you succeeded. If your kid dropped out of high school, it doesn't matter how nice he is or if he's going to save the planet, you failed as a parent. And it's and that's culture and so what that does is it ends up reverse paradoxically screwing things up because again according to research if you you know emphasize scholastic achievement with your kids at the expense of emphasizing pro social things like kindness your kid will actually do worse in school presumably because he doesn't like himself or herself they don't have a great relationship with you they might not be so kind in the world, and this creates social problems for them, which leads to stress, which leads to them not doing well in school. And and I'm having the exact same conversation, uh, Corey, that you know you were having with your parents, which is, what would you rather have? That and this is what I say to parents. I'm like, what would you rather have? Would you rather have a you know surgeon who hates who everyone hates, <laughs> and who hates everyone, or would you ha- rather have a high school dropout? whom everyone loves, which one would you rather? And you will see parents kind of like really wrestle with that for a second, which I just want to say is effing crazy. It's crazy. crazy. Obviously the surgeon. Really (laughs) fascinating. So I I really enjoyed this this research. Uh, But I have a... so interesting. Sorry. No, please. I have a devil's advocate question uh, or a Chinese advocate, if you will. How do we square this with my preconceived notion that so many Asian parents uh, are are doing just the scholastic pressure well, and then we have so many graduates from right. China. And- well, I'm Asian, so I'll tell you. There, <laughs> there's, a, there's a difference between parents like your Ohio Nazi parents emphasizing, <laughs> Nazis. <laughs> emphasizing scholastic achievement. There's a di- I'm not saying parents shouldn't emphasize scholastic achievement because there's nothing wrong with that. Right. But at the same time, they should be at least emphasizing as much, if not more, other virtues like kindness, compassion, uh, sharing, being good to people. All those things have to be also emphasized. Now, are your Ohio parents emphasizing of those things as well? Uh, a little bit. Yeah. I would say, Yeah. Did you? I had a healthy balance, I think. So your Close. your Savannah parents gave you the the self esteem and the the yeah, the, the pro social and, and the how to have friends and how to be warm, how to mm-hmm. have a good how to have a good life, and then you had these other parents that provided this other emphasis. Without your Savannah parents, research shows you would have completely failed. Is <laughs> is the point? You know, I'm just I'm joking, of course, but. But but yeah, that's 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 you know the thing. Oh. Wow. Is the Savannah is, is the Savannah parent the mom or the dad? My bio mom is in Savannah. Oh, I love yeah. Savannah, by the way. It's one of my favorite little cities. Yeah, it's beautiful. I, I like it's hot. Char- Charleston. Is, yeah, it was hot. I was there in like 
March, I want to say, and it was like 85. Mm-hmm. Is this where Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil takes Yes, place? exactly. I think that's right. Yeah. Also, Walking Dead. Starting point. Oh, right. In Atlanta, yeah. Oh, it was Atlanta. Hot Atlanta. Yeah, Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's certain, you know, when you say Seattle outside Seattle, they, they say, oh, you know, it all it does is rain there, right? And whenever you say Atlanta it's outside of Atlanta, <laughs> I always have to say Hot Atlanta. It's like these certain things. What do people say about Phoenix, by the way? It's hot. it's hot. As a native, it's probably. I was going to ask you guys from the outside in. What did well, people you heard, say about yeah. Phoenix? Berto say earlier, he's like, well, oh, it's hot there. Not only did, did I say that. Uh, about Phoenix because I believe it. <laughs> but actually, it was just someone was complaining that they had to, they moved from Phoenix because they didn't like the fact that during the summer their kids could never be outside. Yeah. I was like, oh, yeah. Really? Yeah, people <laughs> literally fall down dead from heat stroke every year. Oh, man. Oh, every man. single year. You oh, can fry and this, you can cook an egg on the sidewalk in July. Oh, my wow. God. For real. For real. The floor becomes, the sidewalk becomes so hot, you can't, you, you absolutely must have shoes. You or, or or like getting in a car in Phoenix and putting your hand on the steering wheel. Um, I adopted a habit from my dad where I would have a towel that I would carry around in my car so I could I could you don't I could hold the, the steering wheel. You don't put the little uh, shiny thing in the windshield. Oh, I absolutely oh, do, do, my friend. <laughs> oh yeah, sun visor. I still got it in the car. And now I'm like, what the hell do I need this thing for? Yeah, when I first like moved like to Phoenix, umbrella. all of the apartments were uh, super advertising their covered parking spots, and I was like, why is this costing me like eighty bucks? I don't understand why this is a big deal. And then I understood. Then you understood. And then I left my car out for like three hours. Kirk, you and I did this. We our first conversation. We talked about Phoenix versus Seattle. It was never aired, and I don't think it exists anywhere. Oh, it was such a good point, though. It Commercialism versus enchantment. Yeah, oh, yeah. We had a. Wait, well, what is this? We had our first podcast episode together. I was on Michael's podcast, oh. Unpopular Culture Podcast, and we talked for over an hour about the culture of Seattle and Phoenix and we taught we interviewed oh, each other and it was this great conversation and then at the very end he said okay well send me the recording <gasps> and I said what do you mean he's like well you've been recording on your end haven't you and I was like I haven't been recording anything and I was oh my God. and I was just mortified oh, my God. oh no because oh. I know as a podcaster how oh, well, we how had- horrible that is just to basically waste your time <laughs> to talking, this- talking to some schmo about whatever. <laughs> we had to we had to do this where we had a great episode yeah. and then the computer crashed and oh. we lost oh, everything. And, we're like, man. and then we had to like recreate it and you could probably hear it in our voices like, Wow, that's a great yeah. point. <laughs> it's just the worst. But yeah, we talked all about that because <laughs> you were missing Seattle. At the oh time. yeah, yeah, I've been missing it ever since. But Phoenix and Seattle are very dichotomous in a, in a lot of ways. Yeah. There's something called the McDonaldization paradigm. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't remember the theorist, but the more efficient a city is, which Phoenix is extremely efficient. It's you can there's parking, for example. So there's that. There you can uh, cheap housing, cheap everything, cheap whatever. Uh, there's a uh, Walmart on every corner, Ugh. 24 hours a day. Uh, one of the best things about Phoenix is this gas station called QT. Okay. The letter Q and the letter T. Anybody heard of it? Actually, that's a good thing. Yeah, like that, a gas that, station. that's one of the shining things in, in Phoenix. <laughs> is it like Which a Seven Eleven type thing? It's, it's way it's better, better than a Seven Eleven. It's like a cross between a gas station and a grocery store. They have, okay. they have it's sandwiches. It's always oh. clean. They got a thousand different fountains, but you can go in there and get a bucket of iced tea for. Two dollars. Yeah. Wow. Any time of the day. Okay. Yeah. So here in Seattle, you know, it's they more enchanting. They don't even have plastic bags at Walmart. Right. They ask me if I want a bag. That's yeah. amazing. And people yeah. say hi to you here. Also that. And you're like, <laughs> you're like, 
Back off. <laughs> Hello, thank you. Yeah, you like so cut someone off in traffic, and he like waved and smiled. Oh, at you. and everybody's so defensive <laughs> driving here. They're they're so like I thought we had a car slam on the brakes and stop in the middle of the street because they thought I might have been crossing. Ah. We had like one foot in the. Yeah, and and you're just—it's like Frogger <laughs> in Phoenix. They're just gonna whack you. They're how, gonna run you over, man. How does it? Have you driven in Miami? I've driven in L.A. Okay, some L.A. is, is bad traffic, but Miami is death because oh. Miami is a lot of ex Latinos or Latinos, and they're out to prove a point, man. And like, <laughs> oh, oh, I hated driving Miami. I was always like fearing for my life, and everyone was just like. Uh, it's not just that they want you to move, like they want to cut in front of you. They want to cut in front of you and hopefully make you run off the road and die. Like, yeah. Yeah. I remember that. our friend Carlos from Mexico. Yeah. He would always talk and we'd be driving in Seattle and some hipster on Capitol Hill would just start crossing the street and mm-hmm. wouldn't even, not even at a crosswalk, would just start crossing the street and not even look both ways. And, and, Carlos would 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 stop and he'd be like in my country he'd be dead. I would have just I would have just ran him over. No, That's no, Phoenix. No one just no one just crosses the street like without looking, you know what I mean? And yeah. Seattle you're just like, well, they'll stop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, let's do a couple more tougher bluffs here. Spending money on meals and vacations feels better than spending money on material goods like clothing and furniture. Tougher bluff. Spending money on meals and vacations, things that you can't keep, right? Things that just are experiences but go away. Spending money on meals and vacations feel better than spending money on material goods like clothing and furniture. Tougher bluff. Oh, I love this question. So I'm going to average this out and say that in general, that is tough. Yeah. I will say asterisk because there. Are, look, I spent a lot of money in my younger years on material stuff, and ninety five percent of it, I regret it. Do you want to tell the story? No. It's been a while since you <laughs> told the story about the red leather jacket. Oh, it wasn't. No, you, it, this was the the bla- the dark leather jacket with the cross, the red cross on the back. Do you want to tell that story? Yeah, sure. <laughs> so, um, you know. To be fair, growing up in Colombia, I didn't get to go buy my own clothes. The only new clothes I got were sent by my mom. And so it was like, oh, okay, I got clothes. And when I moved up here, same thing, even in high school, she would like buy my clothes. And I never even thought I had a choice. So then when I started working and started getting my own money, one of my first forms of liberation were, I can go to like Eddie Bauer and buy clothes. It's crazy. But it developed into like over the years, it developed into an addiction. I would like go and like spend way too much money. Uh, and one year in uh, 2005, I'm down in LA at band camp. It was music camp. One time when uh, I was at band yeah, camp. Yeah, buying flutes and stuff. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, all right, uh, I have a performance coming up at the, at the camp. And I'm thinking, all right, I got to really shine for this performance. I think I need a really special jacket. And so I ask like, hey, where can I buy like... Which new- I just want to say <laughs> is a really funny thing to think. Because uh, as a as a you know singer myself on stage, the last thing I want to do is wear a big <laughs> hot jacket oh, no. because I'm already going to be sweating like a pig anyway. And like you know, I I might think of like a nice shirt, right, or a nice headband, or was, not like a big leather bulky jacket. Yeah, I was thinking just like I need to present myself. So, anyways, they're like, oh, you could go to this one place in, but it was like near what's that a Rodeo Drive or whatever. So I should have known, you know, and I go and it's this boutique store in L.A. 
And I look around and they have this leather jacket with this big red cross stitched on the back. And I'm like, that's the one. And it was $3,000. Oh, oh my no. God. No. $3,000. That I, was more than my Apple computer. And I was like, <laughs> the big one. I'll take it. Jesus. Put it on my credit card. I'm like, it'll all work out. It'll and all I, work uh, out. Take the wheel, Jesus. I, I went, I went, I got the jacket. <laughs> I went to the camp. I do my performance and I sing it's my, a song I wrote and the band's playing and I do it and then at the end these the, the judges like tell you how you did and stuff like that and I'll never forget this because the one of the main judges is like you know I really liked is that song you wrote he's like yeah that's really good I gotta tell you uh, the the look was sort of distracting I don't think that jacket's working for you <laughs> and I was like what okay and that actually luckily was the beginning of my cure of this whole clothes obsession. Oh, okay. Because hey, what I didn't say is how much money I'd already wasted over the years. So in that moment, my something in my brain deeply clicked. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I see. I can't buy my happiness with this. And I actually went and tried to return the jacket the next day, which is something I would have never done because of the embarrassment. Because to me, this, this thing represented... <sighs> I, of course I can afford these clothes because I couldn't when I was young, right? So, of course oh, I can. Okay. So, going to return it would be like admitting I'm poor. That oh, I can't do that. But I went and they basically laughed me out of the store because there's no way they would take returns. And then I had to sell it later on eBay. And I think I got, which is still great, but I think I only got like a thousand bucks. Oh, it. damn. Because I was going to buy it off of you. I know. And so, I, it was less, so I, you know, two grand burnt like this oh, down man. the toilet. But, but honestly, I... I could have kept it, but I decided that I had to like symbolically. That was it, and 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 honestly, uh, I ended up. I still had other problems with money on other stuff, but that was the beginning of the end of the clothing obsession. Sounds like it was kind of worth it. Yeah, in well, a way, it was cheaper well, than therapy. <laughs> except, except three years later. <laughs> A, a very famous singer rose to the top of the charts and what coat was he wearing? Oh, shit. A leather jacket with a red... No. <laughs> no. no. Oh. <laughs> oh, my I God. I was waiting. Was I was like, like be funny. And the person that bought the jacket was Lady Gaga. Damn you, Beyonce. <laughs> that would have been... Oh, I wish I could have made up stories like that. Like the, like the traveling pants, but the traveling jacket <laughs> the traveling with the Red Cross. <laughs> yes. But anyway, so I, I don't know why we got on this story. Oh, I know why we did, because yeah. I'm saying... Spending money on meals and vacations feels better yes. than ultimately like, long-term. I'm tough, because I learned that lesson. What do you think, Michael? I think when you consider, very similar to what Humberto said, how... Buying things can not only be not satisfying and make you happy, but you can fall into a hole with it where you are buried in your own stuff like a hoarder, <laughs> you know, and how that, how that can spin out of control so easily. And then uh, the documentary on Netflix called The Minimalists. Ooh. These guys live on in this little house that's maybe the size of this room. One house, though. It's all there. And wow. they have the guy shows me a suitcase and he has one pair of pants and he has underwear and he, he puts the dirty pair underneath the stack of clean ones like a like a <laughs> conveyor belt. And it, he, he has almost That's nothing. Amazing. And they talk about how freeing it is and how, oh, it's it's just amazing. I'm completely cut free of all this. And I kind of believe him. Yes. You know, yeah. um, I think experiences long term are valued more. Okay. So I'm going to say tough. Okay. What do you think, Corey? Yeah, I wonder how much the presence of other people matters here. Because I feel like I would be willing to spend money on like my dinner partner or someone like my family if I went to the beach with them. 
But if I'm going to buy a pair of like pink sweatpants that say sexy on the butt, like maybe that's a little bit different. <laughs> and later on, I'll have some buyer's remorse over it. I see. Whereas so like think, if tough, I did it tough with... Tough Do you think people, oh. when they study people, you think... I think they, tough. Okay. Yeah. You're, you're all right. It's, it's tough. Yeah. Woo! Oh, uh, they find that when people buy things, they have an initial kind of bump of happiness. But it, as you were saying, Michael, it quickly fades over time. Whereas if you go on a vacation with your loved ones, and you never forget that. And you think, you know, 10 years later, you think, well, that was obviously worth the money I spent. Yeah. Where it's like, think of this stuff you bought materially 10 years ago. You know, do you really but care that much? The reason I added an asterisk was, and I know we got off track because of the story, but it was very relevant because there are some things that if you actually learn to somehow balance and not go crazy like I was going and find that one piece that you really like that you'll have forever, then actually, I'm not saying it might, st- this thing ultimately is probably still tough, but that one thing that is part of you and it becomes part of your identity. It does make you happy in a certain totally. way. Totally. You know? Totally. Yeah. I just bought a new acoustic guitar. Uh, I've been playing guitar my whole life and never really bought a real acoustic guitar. And I just recently, you yeah. know, did that. And every time I walk by that thing, I go, I am so glad I spent that yeah. money on that, on that guitar. And it was a lot of money too. Yeah. And, and I, I am, I will, I love the way it looks, the way it feels, the way it sounds. I just, it makes me want to play it more. Oh man, I'm jealous. And, and so, is so. that not though, is that not a qualitative purchase? You know, it's this one thing that you've never bought for yourself and you bought this one thing. I think that's very different than yeah, the excessively va- spending. Yes, well, definitely. the vast majority of things that we buy, I mean, yeah. think, think of all the things we buy, you know, that right. the, the, out of all the things I bought in the month I bought that guitar, is probably like... You know, one out of three thousand things that I purchased. You know, yep. yeah. So, so yeah. For some purchases, we could say they might have that value, but of all the purchases, yep. especially like a leather jacket that has a big <laughs> red cross on the back. Well, like you, Harry Potter, right? When Dudley's like thirty three, but last year, last year they were thirty four. It's like it becomes it oh, becomes no, a you number. Didn't. You know, it's like just a pile of gifts. In fact. Um, so it's funny. I have this connection all of a sudden. Uh, when I was a kid, one year, I remember this clearly. So, you know, picture this. I'm living in Colombia. My mom lives up here. I live with my dad and his parents. And then my mom's parents my, uh, live in the same city. And so for Christmas, I never got to see my mom. Never. And w- I remember this singly. This one year, my grandma, my mom's mom, shows up with a black garbage, like a hefty bag full of toys like just full of toys and i remember as a kid initially i was like oh my god this is so many toys right i can't remember one of the toys that was in that bag i can't yet i i can certainly remember the the tall robot my dad got me this one christmas i can remember the millennium falcon when i was five (laughs) when i turned five the build it yourself millennium falcon that my dad got me that we tried to build together and it frustrated me terribly i remember that but I don't remember one of the toys. Do you think you bag. remember it because of the experience of building it with your dad? The experience. Yeah. It's one thing, not twenty billion things. Yeah, it's, it's like Kirk's guitar. It's absolutely a thing. That- and I, I wrote a song when in college. It's not a great song, but the sentiment is there. Called "Bag Full of Toys," and it was all about like <laughs> trying to buy love. Yes. With, you know. Nice. Yeah, so, I don't know. When I think back at my happiest moments in my life, I was penniless, surrounded by people I cared about. And I've had I've been rich I've been poor and I don't I don't be like damn I missed that money you know it's it's damn I missed that person or that time right. it's the experiences when you boil it down because so. they had money right <laughs> yeah because they paid for everything so. yeah 
Bertie, you want to sing a verse from that song? Bag full of toys. What a scene. No, actually, it's not. It's how obscene. That's oh. what it was. Bag full of toys. How obscene. And then it was something like, um, as children, I don't remember the middle, but as children, we all knew the toys they would all buy us were just a contract paid for me and you or somebody along those lines. It was, I was uh. thinking about like how these things were like them trying sing, to buy the love. Did you ever sing that to your mom? No, 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 no. All right, last one. <laughs> Culture affects odor preferences. Culture affects the preference of your odor. Tougher bluff, Berta. Odor as in uh, body odors? Smells. Or just well, smells. Any, any, okay. any smell. Body odor, food. Yeah, it's, it must be tough because if you get conditioned as a child to certain uh, tastes and smells, I, I guarantee from firsthand experience that you find them more or less acceptable. Like so what? Do you have any? You grew up in Bogota. Yeah. Uh, do you have any smells that uh, are different, smell well, preferences that are different than the States? I guess I was thinking tastes, but I know tastes and smells are very similar. Um, okay, a different example might be how a lot of people find Indian food very smelly, yeah, very strong, or garlic food. Very, but uh, you talk to folks that grew up in that culture and... Either they don't really know what you mean, or they love that smell, yeah. you know, whatever. Yeah. So but, nothing's particular to Colombia. In terms of smell, I guess I grew up in the big city, so maybe I'm just... Uh, I, and I certainly never liked the smell of car smoke <laughs> uh, or cigarettes. So, ah, oh, fuck. Maybe I'm wrong about this now that I think about it. No, I agree but with taste, you. But taste, I will say, because there are things where I give something, like, try this. This is a delicacy in my country. It's like, oh, my God, this is terrible. Mm. Like, no, it's it's so good. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. I'm going to go tough still. Not going to uh, tough, yeah. I think, because I, you can almost have to factor in taste. Was it 60% of your uh, your taste it's experience smell. comes from your olfactory senses? Yeah. Okay. Your sense of smell, I think yeah, that's yeah. right. So, I mean, it's so intertwined. But, yeah, culture. oh, yeah, culturally, uh, certain foods. In Phoenix, the rain. S- anybody who's from here will know what I'm talking about. <gasps> the, the, s- the s- It smells amazing. As much it as it rains happens. here, and as beautiful as the trees and the water and everything is, it doesn't have that smell of the, the wet dust, the yeah. wet dirt. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Mm. What do you think, Corey? Does culture affect your preference of odors? Yeah, definitely tough. Um, I would say from my own experience, I love the smell of farms and like like cow manure. <laughs> really? Of, yeah, Midwesterner. Yeah, I would. Dri- yes, I would drive by farms in Phoenix <laughs> and just be like, "Oh, roll down the window. Yeah. This is great." Were these the Nazi farms? <laughs> I mean, I've told I've told the story uh, at least once, maybe ten times on this podcast about my, one of my girlfriends in high school, where uh she lived in this uh, city called Chehalis. It might have been Centralia, but I think it was Chehalis, which is cow country. And it was pretty far from where I lived in that I had to drive like 45 minutes to go see her or maybe an hour or something. Um but you know, you know, girlfriends in high school, you're like, I don't know, I'll I'll drive. I have nothing better to do. The problem is every time I would start arriving, that smell would start. Yes. And I started associating the smell. <laughs> with oh no. Her. Love it. And I actually ended up uh Breaking up with her without breaking up with oh, her. Oh, stop. stopped. I stopped no. taking her calls because I was so embarrassed to admit why I didn't want to see her anymore. Oh, come on. I'm so serious. I And I felt terrible. A year later. I she would understand. No, no she would. No, always going to understand. I'm sorry. On. I have to break up with you. You smell like cow shit. No, because I associate you with the smell of, especially at that age. A year later, uh, she came to my city and, and she actually purposely came to see me and she she had gotten engaged. 
and she was sort of trying to rub it in and I was I couldn't blame her I was like oh my because I was such a dick I was like oh my god I'm so sorry and I did apologize did she marry a cow (laughs) (laughs) a cow patty just fully totally go into the culture but it was it was to her it might have been okay for me I was like I can't deal with this I can't deal with (laughs) it no that's that'd be too far for me man yeah I could give you uh, it is tough uh, the study found differences in how different cultural groups rate different odors. For example, French people rate wintergreen less pleasant than French Canadians. Oh, interesting. That's incredibly specific. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's so many different smells, right? Okay, so we got your wintergreen, we got your shit, we and got smelly your- cheeses. They love smelly yeah. cheeses. So, so I'm going to tell you just, I, I was hoping at least you, you know, because you <laughs> right. are from Colombia, would, would have some kind of like just obvious example. Uh, I mean, you you grew up in Savannah and Ohio, mm-hmm. which I'm guessing growing up in Seattle, the smells aren't that different. You know what I mean? Uh, in terms of like world smells, and you grew up in Phoenix, which I'm guessing you know there's some smells that are. But as a Japanese person, I'm here to tell you there are some very different smells coming out of my house growing up than there was yours. I mean, oh. we had kimchi, we right. had takwan. Uh, I've had durian before, which is the most smelliest thing. <laughs> I mean, kimchi, you know, authentic kimchi, you open that that um, jar and the yeah. whole house literally smells like dirty socks. I mean, <laughs> but I love kimchi. I used to eat kimchi sandwiches as a kid. You got spam, you got, like you got, you know, plums and lots of fish. Like when I, when I go into a fish market and I smell that pungent kind of rotten fish yes. smell, most people get real grossed out by that. And I'm like, that's the smell of my grandma's house. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. So, so you know, what's funny is, um, I think one of the reasons I'm disappointing you in this case is because I grew up in a big city, even though it's Columbia. It's a big industrialized city. And like maybe Europeanized. Europeanized. So where the prevalent smells, and I wasn't kidding, there's lots of cars. There's lots of people smoking, especially in the 80s. And But now that I think about it, what I should have quoted is when I moved here and I went to my Asian friends' houses and immediately it's like, what is that smell? Right. Yeah, you were friends with mostly Asian. And guys. a lot of Koreans, tons yeah. of kimchi. It was yeah. crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> like a jar of kimchi in a house will completely differentiate the Asians from the non-Asians. Yeah. Because the, the jar of kimchi, the Asians will be like, oh, kimchi. And all the non-Asians will just be like, oh my <laughs> God. What is that smell? What is that? And gar- garlic for some, you know, Mediterranean cuisine is like drenched in garlic. So, you know, you go to a, a Mediterranean restaurant and it's like, that's what it smells like. Uh, and I actually like that. Maybe there was more garlic in Colombia. Oh, that's true. There's lots of garlic in Okay. In Colombia. Oh, uh, in college, Shun, my Japanese friend, my other Japanese friend, he's he was a college roommate. And one day I come home, and he had recently been to Japan, so he'd been getting more and more Japanicized because he was born here, and so he was pretty uh, pretty gringo. But <laughs> he got more uh, – the more trips he took to Japan, the more he started adopting cultural norms. So I come home from, from college one day, and I walk in the house, and I'm like – the hell is that stench? And I go in the kitchen. I'm like, Shun, do you smell that? And he's like, Oh, it's probably this I'm making. I was like, What? The food? That's food? And it's uh-huh. this stuff called natto. Yeah. Which is fermented soy. Yeah. With a raw egg. And it's like, and I was like, 
Oh my god, this stuff is disgusting. Full disclosure, nowadays I love natto. No, <laughs> no. Wow. Do you have you ever had natto before? No, I've never even no. heard of the things you guys yeah. are so, talking about. Natto is, and real Japanese people are pronounced natto a little differently, but but Americanized to say natto. But anyway, well, I say natto because oh, How should no, you right. say it? It's no, just it's it has right. an accent, natto. like not not. It has some kind of weird okay. consonant in there. But anyway, the point is is that it is it is soy based and it's fermented. And you, which only gets you like five percent into like the description of it. It's it, it's like um, chunks of brown slimy uh, uh, soy, but in a in the slimiest. Like when you when you grab it, <laughs> you are not selling this. I'm, by the I'm way, not, no, <laughs> when you grab it and pull it away from oh, God. It, the it's longest a, string <laughs> of like it, it i don't know what kind of rating this is but it is the highest rating like you've had snot sort of come out of your oh, no. oh my god nacho it'll go like a mile b- before it'll break it's stringy and uh. and it you know it's fermented which means it's rotten it's full of bacteria. It's it's yeah. It's it's super rotten, and it smells like something is super rotten, and it tastes like something. Is super <laughs> rotten. But it's a Japanese delicacy, and if you put like a trace amount, it just adds that kind of musk that you might. That so if you just so you're never you're not you're not supposed to just eat it like like scarf it down. You're supposed to just take a. You're supposed to take like a trace amount. Like you're supposed to wave your hand over it and then put it over your your rice, your <laughs> gohan, and then you you get like a like a slight tanginess to your. And these are the things that fascinate me about humans and our history is that at some point someone was like, "Yeah, I'll eat that." Yeah, I'm gonna make this a food now. <laughs> it, it makes me wonder what other cultures are saying about American food. Like, oh, the McRib. No, no. <laughs> well, you know? have you heard people talk about peanut butter? No, oh, yeah, yeah. People yeah. think peanut butter is the exact. They think peanut disgusting. butter is disgusting. Yeah, which, really. Oh. Which I can't imagine. Peanut butter is one of the most glorious things on the, on the it's planet. It's kind of like normal and bland to be so hated. But <laughs> around the world, they will point to peanut butter and say it's disgusting. So, so when I was a kid, I spent some time in the states, even though I mostly grew up in in Colombia. So I was exposed to peanut butter young, and I loved it. Um, I'm down at, in Colombia and I'm at my grandma's and my cousins are over, two girls, they're over and they're about my age and I'm making me a peanut butter because my mom had brought her, there was a peanut butter jar in the fridge. So I'm making myself a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, it's just a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Just peanut what? It's like, I'm like, you know, here, try it. It's delicious. I totally oversold it too. And they like, first of all, they're like, didn't want to try it because it looked this. It looked like poop to them. They're like this is uh, this, and then they taste it and they're like, "Oh, this is gross! I can't believe you eat that!" And I'm like, "What are you talking about? This is mana from heaven." So it is true. Like right. People- so culture, <laughs> culture, culture, man. Culture, Every man. time, culture. When I was a kid, my mom would make, and my mom listens to this podcast, so so she'll appreciate <laughs> me talking about this. I I think she would make peanut butter and mayonnaise sandwiches. <gasps> No. Yeah. no that's Stop. And she would also make oh. peanut butter, mayonnaise, and banana sandwiches. Oh, that's how that Peanut butter, that. banana. Wow, it's interesting. Yeah, but that with I can man- With mayonnaise, with mayo? No. 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 It's funny. Peanut butter and mayonnaise, disgusting. I say peanut butter, mayonnaise, banana, and they both like, Whoa. oh, okay. I think I can deal with that <laughs> Yeah, one. maybe. Well, what about all those like European, like lutefisk and gefilte fish and all those? like? Uh, yeah. A lot of them are fermented foods, and that may be the common. Well, one of them, like I'm Swedish too, one of them is... A rotten fish that has been left 
underground. That's the lutefisk? I think so. It's, yeah. they, they put a, I think you, you put a fish underground. You let it rot. You let it rot, and then you unearth it and eat it. That's, Who figured that one out? Well, this is the part that is interesting because, the, the, as we all know, if you eat the wrong rotting thing, you will die. You could get botulism. You get a number of things. But you eat the right kind, and it helps your health. Except it turns out, you know, in some cases, like with kimchi, it could also cause stomach cancer, but but only because of the salt, not because of the bacteria. Kombucha isn't that some kind of fermented? Kombucha is ferment, fermented. Yeah. So that's rotten. Alcohol is fermented. Yeah, beer. I mean, you know, lots lots of things. The difference with the alcohol is that it's not bacteria. It's you know, it's the yeast fermentation. So it's a different kind of organism. It's old growing. though. It's old stuff. It's old. Yeah. It's it's stuff that was left out and then it right. changed into something else. And as, do you guys remember the first time you ever tasted alcohol as kids? Oh yeah, like, oh, of course. That adverse, like, why would anyone ch- like mustard? Like, why would you <laughs> want to eat mustard? <laughs> yeah. But then I like grows on you. Oh, and then I love mustard. And same thing with um, olives. Ew. I remember thinking I would see my, the adults put these green, and I tried. And I was like, oh my, how I would. And I love olives. I oh, want to be the kind of person that eats olives. You don't just eat, not. You can be if you believe in yourself. I feel like they're so like I eat olives. Yeah, oh. you do. Yeah, I, I'm just tell eater. people. Just fake until you make it. All right. Yeah, you can do that. Hopefully, no one ever makes me a crumble, <laughs> yuck, or like oysters. Yeah, I did an oyster shooter once. That was not. Oh, okay. I love oysters. You don't. Well, miss. you're in Seattle now. So. We're gonna do oysters tonight. Well, I love every other seafood. We're gonna shoot oysters tonight. Don't good, good oysters. Good and oysters. follow them up with, okay. with olives. All right. Okay. We're yeah. popping some cherries no, no. or some I'm oysters. Don't follow them up. You follow them up with a little bit of lemon. Yes. And it is like, it is, well, it, for people, I will say, like yourself, it will at least be tolerable. And for people like me and Berto, it'll be like heaven. Heaven. Mana yeah. from heaven. It'll be that like sounds amazing. Butter. But you have to get it literally picked right out of the tank and then shucked and served to you like if you get an old oyster it's not going to be a good experience yeah so you want you want i used some- to eat them on like crackers in savannah and i always oh, yeah. had them from but Phoenix. then i grew up and it was like maybe they're like boogers at least you had an ocean. <laughs> mine came you off the back of a yeah. truck but that's so un- unorthodox like you actually used to eat them when you were young mm-hmm. yeah and then you lost it i just didn't for a long time okay and so then someone told me a story about boogers yeah, oh. that was me. Okay, so real quick on the what? Howard Stern show. <laughs> Howard Stern show a million years ago. I was listening to the radio, and this guy ate a spoonful of boogers no! for concert tickets, guys. Oh, come on. How did they get a spoonful of boogers? He went around no, the studio no, I can't and collected them. Oh. Howard Stern, Robin, oh, yeah. all of them just That's passed right. it around. That's not right. Uh, just something. heavily insulted our. So host. let's go eat some oysters, oh, shall we? Oh, <laughs> that is the grossest of all time. We are weird, though, aren't we? I saw a cartoon today uh, of it's just an illustration of a dude wearing a bloody butcher's uh, apron with a big bloody cleaver, and he's petting a little kitty. And behind him is this whole barnyard full of animals like pigs, uh, you know, cows, chickens, everything that gets slaughtered. It was just kind of a commentary. It was like, oh, hi, pretty kitty. Hold on. I'm going to go slaughter all these other kinds of mammals. Oh, so yeah. like all these animals we will kill and eat, but these but sacred ones. Yeah. Another yeah. cultural thing. Yeah. Is it not? Yeah. As an Asian yeah. person, not Japan, yeah. but there are yeah. other Asians that, that, that do true. partake in the, in the feline That's delicacies. There's a hamburger restaurant in Seattle that serves uh, all like 15 different kinds of of. Of animals in their hamburgers. Whoa! But not at once. Yeah. <laughs> or, yeah, no, different patties. So okay. there's they got they got obviously beef. They got buffalo. They got alligator. They got snake. What else do they have, Berto? 
uh, elk, elk, and, oh yeah, uh, reindeer, uh, anything it, that you can venison, anything you can eat, they have it in a in a burger. Oh, I'm checking that. that. Ostrich. Yeah. I was so worried you were going to say cats too. Like <laughs> Maybe. that's crazy. Mouse. Ew. <laughs> Snake surprise. <laughs> All right. Well, that does it for that episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining us, Corey and Michael Drain, from the Thank Unpopular Culture Podcast. Check it out on your podcast app. Is it unpopular a podcast culture? about culture that's unpopular? T- or give, is us, it give, give us your culture elevator. that's unpopular. Give but us your a elevator, about pitch. elevator pitch. <laughs> uh, we shine a light on some of the less popular topics of our culture. That's scripted, but yeah, I mean we do. We try to we try to like dig deep into common things like pop culture things, but in a psych way that kind of. So the most two recent episodes we did was the five different kinds of stalker behavior. And then after that, I did a follow up about the bystander effect and the murder of Kitty Genovese. Oh my God, this sounds fascinating. Yeah, sounds a lot like Why, our podcast. Where have you been all my life? Well, we're not you guys. You guys are too epic for us. I'm going to start listening to your episodes. And Please then I'm do. Get yeah. obsessed. You, but you have other contributors too you have like a team of people that contribute right? we right. yeah we do uh it's narrowed down a little bit i think i think uh, whittled down to the truly dedicated yeah exactly <laughs> yeah um cory and i are sort of the main spearheads of it we have um rotating guests we have you on a lot we have uh justin kraus a friend of mine he's a he's a therapist too um so yeah and for those we'll do more uh so, sort of like this like a discussion take a topic like mob mentality and talk about it, you know, yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah. So we also, we almost, we also kind of do two different kinds of shows, scripted, narrated. Uh, yeah. You then, have like a pretty, in some of your episodes, it's like really high produced, like, yeah, right. like a, like a serial or something. We try. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I write music for it. We edit it. You know, we've, we have recorded an entire episode. Maybe f- how many times did we do David Reimer? Our first episode, at least five, five times at least yeah. just being new to podcasting and figuring out how it all works and trying to figure it out. And, um, do you guys do like in tonight's podcast, you're going to find out the deepest secret of the city, but then at the end, there's nothing, <laughs> but then at the end, I give you nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we try to be dramatic like that. Michael nice. does. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think you pull it off really well. I, I really like it. Yeah, thanks. We're just trying stuff out. You know, we're still new. Yeah, we started in October, and this has been so much fun. You just started in October. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's really. That's really. I mean, it took me years to even come close to what I would consider listenable podcast episodes. Honestly, <laughs> like, I mean, there's some gems in the beginning, but. They, I like I I had no idea what I was doing. You know, I was just like completely aimless. Um, I, I want to close by saying that I was on the internet and I can't remember one of our patrons or one of our listeners posted something and I can't remember what it was. But all I could think of when I saw it was their professional life is so interesting. They should come on the podcast. And I, so I just want to set out uh, send out a wide net to everyone who's listening. That if you're a fan of the podcast and you feel like you might have something of interest, I think it was like a VR thing, mm-hmm. like a virtual reality thing that okay. someone was talking about. And I and they they owned a company or something. Anyway, so if you're a listener out there and you have something, you know, reach out to us and um, you know, we can talk because we love to have Birdo be a 
guinea pig for all sorts of things. <laughs> yes, I will try it out. You've done yoga therapy. You've done art therapy. You've done drama therapy. True. You've done music therapy. <laughs> you've, you've, My uh, head has been scrambled. Are these things with. true? I feel like you constantly make funny statements, so I don't really know No, this about is all life. true. Okay. He was, he Wait, would, which part is true? Which part are you asking about? You're all these kinds of therapists? No. No. Okay. Yes, I am. He was a guinea pig. <laughs> I am all these kinds oh, of I therapists. See. He, w- he was a guinea pig for guests who were yoga therapists, music therapists. Oh, I see. Okay. I, did I not word no, that right? No, I like her version <laughs> better. I am all these kinds of ther- therapists. He was, he was also a guinea pig for... Uh, we we did a whole episode about she, a massage. She was, she was sitting here respecting me all of a sudden, like, oh, he's so a elusive, educated. Like, no, he's just a <laughs> guinea pig. <laughs> no, but I love it. Like, you know, people come and they try their wares, dance movement therapy. You've yeah, done, uh, sand play therapy. You've done. Yes, that was great. You've done. You're always the yes. guinea pig. You are so. one well-adjusted human being, aren't you? No, it's because the opposite. It's, <laughs> I have so many problems to air out. It's like, oh, I yes, agree. let's try everything. All right, I'll okay. try anything. <laughs> well, that does it for that episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining us out there. Please take care of yourself because you deserve it.